Hello and welcome to the show, I'm Peter Switzer, and on this show, Michael Gable of Medallion Financial gives us his three cornerstone stocks for your portfolio, and they are really interesting ones. He gives us two stocks you can also hold for 10 years. Then portfolio manager, ST Wong from Prime Value, gives three stocks that look like really great value, and one is a tech stock that he expects will come good as the world economy gets vaccinated and goes back to normal. Paul Miliotis of M Square Capital comes on the show then and explains the pros and the cons of saving and investing into a mortgage fund. So let's get to Michael Wayne on Medallion Financial right now. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thanks for having me, Peter. Right, now, this time I want to, rather than going on maybe your, your latest acquisitions or whatever, I want you to, to, to look into the, 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 the stock of stocks that you, you, know, you like for you, yourself and your mm -hmm. clients and ones that maybe you've held for a while and you think there's still you know, a, a lot of upside for them or something that you think is really important for most people's portfolios because they're such good companies and they still look like good value. Yep. So let's, let's take that theme today. Yeah, so cornerstone stocks, I suppose, um, yeah. that people can have in their, their portfolio for the very long term. Yeah. And a couple that we've been buying for new clients that haven't held them for many years mm. um, is two, CSL and ResMed. Yeah. I'm glad um, you said CSL because it is a great company. It really languished, got as low as what, 245? Yeah, it, it definitely had an extended period of where it was under pressure. Yeah. And I kept telling people, it's good buying, you know, if, pro, pro, provided you're prepared to wait, this company's going to come good. That's so, right. Yeah. Um, so we put it in our report again at like 280, then at 270, then it continued to fall away, yeah. but it started to pick up again, trending quite nicely. And I think healthcare in general is a part of the market that a lot of people even still to this day, uh, are underexposed to. Yeah. Uh, people see that they don't pay income mm. and then sort of discount them in favour of the banks, Woolworths, Coles or whatever it may be. But yeah. I do think there is a, a part in your portfolio for these very good quality Australian healthcare slash tech businesses in many ways in the mm. case of ResMed. But, mm. So CSL obviously suffered because of the lack of blood plasma collections going on in the US, which was of very much COVID-induced. Um, but now that the US has got their vaccination program rolling out mm. um, at speed, we're starting to see that foot traffic numbers picking up. Mm. Um, and in the US, it's very different to Australia. When you donate blood, you get paid. Mm. So it's actually quite an attractive Amer America pastime. America is different. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an attractive pastime for a lot of people to go and give blood and you get a, a little bit of money out yeah. of it, particularly if you've got a rare blood type. Um, mm. And CSL is one of the is the only blood plasma company in the world that can basically guarantee supply of the five different blood proteins really anywhere in the world because mm. they've got such a good distribution network they've been around for so long mm. and they've really got a competitive advantage in that sense so They're a world-class company world-class company um, and that's one that we've been buying and continue to buy at the moment because we do think that as things normalize that will be reflected in the share price it does often get sort of dissed if you like for having a very high PE, but I do think that's a bit misleading because they do spend over a billion dollars in research and development a year, 
and they just account for that in the first year that that occurs rather than spreading out that research and development okay, costs so over years. Like a lumpy thing. So it depresses their earnings mm. um, and makes them look worse than they're actually performing, but that's one that we like. And, and ResMed, as I touched upon, is another that's been under a bit of pressure after being a real COVID winner. Yeah. You know, everyone thought that we needed the ventilators and they were supportive mm. of that. Um, but they've come under a bit of pressure since this rotation out of high PE, high growth mm. um, into some more value names has hurt people like ResMed. But ResMed is about to launch their first new product uh, in, in seven years. Mm. So this is the entire face mask is being relaunched, mm. um, a, a better, more improved version. And we think that if that's well received, it'll give them a nice kicker as people look to update their existing machines and, and other people come on board. And for a lot of people, it's quite an important thing because you're sleeping with it every night, right? So mm. if it's more comfortable and it's less bulky and it sounds quieter, mm. all those things will improve, I think, on this new machine and will really drive the next phase of growth for ResMed. Mm. I've never invested in ResMed, but the one thing I've noticed over the years that I've regretted not buying it when the market sold it off. Yeah. It has a real ability to bounce back. And so I'm, I'm intrigued that you should say that. Yeah, mm. that, that's what we think, because it is having one of those periods at the moment where it's mm. fallen from mid-30s to the mid-25 level, mm. and it's starting to kick up again. So okay. that's oh, There's two. Can you give us a third one? A third one, um, which is a, this is a bit of a cornerstone stock for a lot of people in our portfolios, is a company called Credit Corp. CCP is the code. And again, this one tends to have a wild ride from time mm. to time. I think mm. it got up to $40 maybe pre-COVID. Mm fell all the way to 7 or $8 at the worst of it, and has mm. since picked up a little bit again. Where is it now, mate? About? It's about $30 at the moment. And what's the all time high, bit? About 40 maybe a bit higher, so okay. I stand corrected okay. on yeah. that, but we're in that vicinity. And if, effectively, this is a debt collection business. So they'll go around, they'll buy debt, which is in arrears between 30 and 120 days. Off the banks, don't they? Off mm. the banks, mm. credit card companies, toll roads, mm. you, know, you name it, okay. they're sort of buying these these debts and effectively they'll go around, they'll pay, they might pay 30 cents in the dollar or 50 cents in the dollar to take these bad debts off the company's books mm. and then they'll go around and chase it up. So if they're getting 70, 80, 90% collection yeah. on it, then they're making some good money. Now in the old days, I remember Credit Corp, you actually even had like an education program to help the debtors yeah, really. to repay the debt. And that was part of their competitive advantage. In yeah. those they often said that the, the, the banks were getting rid of the debt for say 30 cents in the dollar. But a lot of these people weren't terrible bad risks. Yeah. And, and with a bit of education and a, and a readable payment plan that maybe the banks weren't prepared to do, they actually got a lot of these people to pay back really? the debt. It's actually amazing because you wouldn't think there's that much competitive advantage over another business doing this, but mm. there's so much data and so many metrics that go into it behind the yeah. scenes and they've shown themselves time and time again to be able to pick and choose when they mm. buy debts mm. um, and, and their ability to collect the debts and when they see that the Australian market is very competitive uh, and prices are being pushed up they'll then focus their attention on the US or mm. vice versa. And so they're an international company? International company. Um, they've really recently got their hands on the one of the debt ledgers from Collection House as well, mm. which gives them a nice shot in the arm. They were quite active during the COVID period when they had they were well capitalised when a lot of their peers weren't. Mm. So once again, they've managed to take advantage of a tough time and that should put them in good stead in the, the positive years to come, fingers crossed. Okay, now I'm gonna put you under pressure here. Now I've done this with uh, a lot of the people I've interviewed this week and you can't say CSL, right? <laughs> I want you to give me a stock that you'd be happy to put in your portfolio 
for, on a 10-year basis. Uh, and I, I was yeah. asked this question a couple of years ago when the, the Sky Business Channel was called the Your Money Channel. Yeah, that's right. And we're, we're, I was put on the spot one afternoon and they asked me what, what I thought and I went for um, zero. I'm really happy yeah. it did really well. So, uh, so think of a company that you think you'd really be happy to buy now on the basis that in 10 years time, it's going to be, I don't say 10 bag, but a real good, like, like yeah. CSL, CSL has become. It's, look, I, I can, I'll give you two answers here. I'll give you the cop-out answer, yeah. which is it's hard to pick a company, so you're better off maybe buying a, an ETF yeah. or a listed investment company. That's a, that's a good bit like of advice. the Dividend Switzer Growth Fund <laughs> or something no, like that. You've been, you've been, <laughs> but, but okay, but but an income fund, you're because right. Because it obviously well. the market yeah. ebbs and flows. You're not really sure what a business is going to be doing in five years. Yeah. It's difficult yeah. to know that far yeah. out. But if I was to pick a company today um, that in 10 years time would be in a very strong position, you'd probably go for something like a, a Macquarie Bank yeah. because they've shown themselves over many decades now to be able to navigate the ebbs and flows of the economic environment and the yeah. structured financial markets. Yeah. But I prefer that over, say, a bank because like a traditional big yeah. four bank because they've actually got the growth trajectory, yeah. they're an asset manager. Over time, asset prices should go up. Mm. If your assets are going up in value, then your fees are going up in value, your revenues, your profits, etc. Yeah. And they are innovators. They, they, are they innovators. reinvent themselves and in how they make money. Quite, quite malleable. Um, what else? I, I'll try and think of another sort of exciting one. Something like a, an aristocrat leisure, I think, yeah. has had a, a very good long-term track record. It is exciting. You're in, you're in Las Vegas casino. Well, that's, that one, that's what people associate aristocrat with, is often yeah. the, the poker machines. But yeah. they've done a, a, a concerted effort to, to diversify their business away from that. So now they're really big in the online digital gaming. And mm. not casino or betting gaming, just everyday mm. games that people play around in. And their market share in the U.S., starting off a low base but it's expanding very quickly yeah. uh, and the demand for those sorts of social gaming is is enormous and if they can continue to expand into that market hmm. i think they're it's like the esports these days you know yeah. some of the biggest watch sporting events these days are people playing fifa soccer amazing? or yeah. or driving you know nascars on the computer so we think that that's a, an area which can be and explosive. I, I don't play this, these sort of games but I, I have noticed that people actually pay money to, to play, yeah. they add things to their game. And That's they, true. Yeah, and you, money comes along. You pay, you get an, an improved weapon or something. Yeah, you know, like yeah. communications improve. Right. It's crazy. but um, So it's adapting to the new world. That's right. So yeah. that's one I think can have a, a, a good future and not too expensive at the moment. Yeah. That's uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. And that was Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial. And before we go to St. Wong from Prime Value, I want to talk to you about the Switzer Golden Ticket promotion. Yes, our marketing department has been working over time to come up with something great, and I think this is great. How would you like to win a free one-year subscription to the Switzer Report with all the great stock tips that the report produces on a weekly basis. Well, we are giving you, our loyal audience, the opportunity to do just that. From now until June 30, with every purchase of my book, Join the Rich Club, which is 50% off until the end of the month, you'll enter your chance to find a golden ticket. Yes, a golden ticket, and you will win a free one-year subscription to the Switzer Report. So if you're a current Switzer Report subscriber and you find one of these golden tickets, then we'll just add another 12 months onto your existing subscription for free. 
How good is that? We've got five of these to give away, so get in and good luck. Well, joining me now is S.T. Wong, Portfolio Manager at Prime Value. And is that a time when value stocks are in the ascendancy? S.T. Wong, thanks for joining us. Hi, Pete. Good to be with you. Okay, mate. Um, we have got slight uh, sound uh, problems, but because people hang off every word you say, because you do give some very good uh, uh, share uh, analysis, I won't call them tips, they're better than tips. Um, let, let's just start off with the fact that we have seen this rotation out of the stocks that were really popular during the coronavirus lockdown period and also tech stocks. And the fund managers are clearly chasing the value stock. Do you think the, the move towards value stocks has a fair way to go before someone turns around and starts saying, hang on, they're, they're very expensive. We better start buying tech stocks again. Yeah, Peter, I think there are two dimensions to you. One is um, clearly, I think, uh, fund managers are chasing economic return. And that drives um, a decent amount of value stocks, so to speak. But the fundamental bit is really about uh, how the economic or GDP bump is cruising into 2021 and 2022. And that's really what's underpinning um, a lot of stocks that's going up today. So whether it's tech or industrials or commodities, it's all about the economic recovery. And you see that, I guess, across a number of sectors, even, even in tech. Mm, yeah, and it seems to me uh, and I like, I like your view on this. You know, we, we talk about growth stocks and we talk about cyclical stocks, but excuse me for being a humble economist, but when, when you have a rising economic cycle, that clearly helps cyclical stocks, but you've got big economic growth, which should also help growth stocks. So it's, is it more a matter of the fact that the, the real big influences on the stock market, the fund managers, it's their rotation out of what they've made money out of, chasing what looks good value now. That really explains why growth stocks can lose um, share price value at a time when the economy is growing strongly. Absolutely. I think you're spot on there in the sense that a lot of what's happening, I think, in my view, is very short-term oriented. Um, and when you look at what's happening in the economy, um, when unemployment is concerned, when housing market is concerned, it does point towards fundamentally um, a massive profit bump in the Australian corporate sector. Mm. So whether you are in the all-style uh, building materials sector, as we've seen in Edwards yesterday, um, or in some of the tech stocks, which are, I'll probably share some of my thoughts with you uh, this, 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 on this episode, is that fundamentally, there is growth in economies, um, consumers are spending, corporates are spending, and therefore we're going to see um, a take-up, I guess, in demand across a number of sectors. Maybe I'll emphasize that and keep tech as well. Yeah. And it's interesting, I know this week, uh, I think NAB has pushed up their growth forecast for this year to 5.1%, Westpac 4.8%. These are numbers that you and I have never seen, really, in the Australian economy. Absolutely, and that's just really the crux of it. The amount of fiscal stimulus, 
the monetary stimulus has, has been really unique. What we saw in the last 12 months uh, is so unique that we probably haven't seen such an environment, even in the US market, for the last 80 years, so to speak. Um, and that's where we're coming across to say, you know, it really doesn't quite make sense from our perspective if the stock is growth or value to the extent that there is underlying demand for products and therefore uh, profitability should rise in the next two or three years. And that's pretty much what we're looking for. Uh, the value and growth today, in our view, is probably sidestepping the fact that the growth that we're seeing is actually coming through very clearly and exceeding the expectations of uh, most Amazon companies. Right. Okay. So. What, what has been the latest company that's come on your radar screen that you like? Right, um, let me share some of my thoughts with you, Pete. Um, um, Cube Holdings, uh, Cube Logistics, uh, so to speak. Yep. Um, that's been on radar. Um, we've held it for more than two years, but we've been putting more money to Cube. Um, Cube, as you know, uh, holds two key assets, and that's pretty much um, it's fully automated ports, you know, Sydney, Sydney port, Melbourne port, as well as the more bank intermodal terminal uh, currently under construction in Sydney, right? So it is a logistics and infrastructure company. And we're thinking there are really two aspects to keep. One, in the near term, we're just seeing sustained container movements in and out of ports. And that's a result of the economic growth we see, um, high consumer spending in housing, consumer-related uh, imports, but also a decline in air, air freight capacity. So we see near-term growth in the cube, which is yet to be reflected in, I guess, uh, analyst expectations. Yeah. But in the longer term, as a cube monetizes the more bank inter intermodal terminal, it's a really long-term construction project, uh, we think it really underpins the value of Cube for the medium to long term. Now, Cube has lagged a rally in the last 12 months. So we're seeing a takeoff in consumer or retail uh, stocks and tech stocks in 2020, and more recently, last six months, value stocks. But Cube, as a proxy for the economy, has been a laggard in this environment. Mm -hmm. So we think there's really a great value in Cube both in the near term, because of economic activity picking up, but also medium term because of the more bank intermodal terminal are coming into radar where value capitalization is concerned. Okay. So that's one uh, stock which, uh, in my view, uh, sticks out as both having value, yeah. but also growth. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing is that um, it's okay to think of growth value stocks. Now, Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Why don't, why don't I just ask this question? You, and the answer might be simply no. But is there a stock that you've got recently uh, in your portfolio that is, is maybe is a is a reopening trade type stock? You know, is it in the travel industry or is it in some other industry that suffered during the coronavirus period? But you think, given your very optimistic view on the economy, which I share with you. He's going to be mm. a real beneficiary. And like personally, when people ask me that question, I say, well, I think Qantas will eventually do very, very well. That's the one I say when people ask me that question. 
it's got problems now because international borders aren't open and even, even interstate borders aren't open at the moment. But when everything gets back to normal, I expect some improvement of Qantas share price. Is there, is there a stock like that that you've got, ST? Yeah, Pete, uh, interesting one. Um, Bavira Solutions, technology company. Mm -hmm. Would you believe it? Yeah. It's been sold off. That, yeah. Um, Bavira is a um, IT solutions company. What, what's the ticket? What's the ticket code? Bavira is uh, ticker is B E V S. Yep. It's uh, Bravo Victor um, Sydney. Yeah. So B. Bavira services global fund managers and institutions in global markets in Australia uh, and in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, and would you believe it? It's been a COVID user. That's because of the lockdowns in the UK um, uh, has been preferring projects in big IT uh, projects uh, that global fund managers has been undertaking. Yeah. You know, so the lockdown in the UK has been quite detrimental to Bravira's uh, uh, prospects uh, last 12 months because a lot of institutions has been deferring um, their work projects. So would you believe it that Bravira is actually a beneficiary of the reopening trade uh, thematic? Because as more people go back to work in the office, especially in the UK, you'll see projects come back online. Yeah. And that's where Bravira comes in, in a sense that you look at the share price it really got sold out recently in the last uh, 12 months. But I think the medium, the short and medium term uh, opportunity actually looks quite good um, in a sense that whilst COVID has disrupted uh, the viewers' uh, new client wins and project work, uh, we should be thinking that with increasing client engagement, especially in the UK, yeah. as the economy reopens with the a significant vaccine rollout in, in Britain, that projects come back from stream, uh, new client wins, and the pipeline is quite substantial for Bavira. Hmm. The new client wins should improve into the next 12 to 24 months. So this is a stock where it's sold off, it's trading about 20 times, but it is at the real low end of its historical trading range. Yeah. So that's the exciting part where you're looking for a tech company, Reopening trade, uh, large addressable market in global markets, the viewers seem to fit that criteria. And that's that's really one which I've been personally been buying in the last uh, month or so, actually, yeah. as the uh, reopening trade in the UK picks up steam. Yeah. So that's one which is quite interesting, which is not in traditional bucket of you know travel, um, 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 uh, education, or hospitality. But Pete, the theme is as we move from uh, consumption of hard goods to services as economies reopen, I think Bravira is quite well placed to benefit. Yeah, great stuff. I'll, I'll look into Bravira, and I, and I know at times in the past, I remember Rudy Philippe Van Dyke liked Bravira, and that was a, a couple of years ago. So it's a company that's always been on um, our, our watch list. Uh, b before you go, um, Listening to your analysis on Bravura, uh, it's one of the reasons why I've liked a company called Elmo Software, because the media kind of portrayed it as a company that really benefited from coronavirus. But if you talk to the CEO, um, he actually says, no, it wasn't good, because a lot of their decision makers around medium size and bigger companies on HR is, is when things are more back to normal. And 
But ha have you ever looked at ELO, Elmo Software? Absolutely. Uh, no coming well, um, great product, uh, strong management team, uh, good buy-in in sense that founders still in the business and really driving that business per se. Um, so yeah, um, in the past, valuation has been a hurdle, mm. but as you say, Pete, it's been solved off because a lot of white collar workers haven't been making decisions. Mm. And that's been the detriment to companies such as Elmo, Avira, um, companies which are in, I guess, an office suite environment. So it's probably a great time to think about some of um, the services sector where the consumption is moving away from hard goods to services. Companies such as Elmo should benefit as normality comes back to the office environment to some extent. Okay. Uh, we don't actually know if it's going to come back 100%, but certainly a degree of work will come back decision makers will start to look at projects and start to make decisions and consumption services should improve onwards. Okay. Well, it's good to see I'm not um, blowing, a, blowing a trumpet that's really not making a, a beautiful sound. ST Wong, thanks for joining us on the program. Talk to you in a couple of weeks um, time. Thanks, Preet. Appreciate it. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, this is our regular catch up with Paul Miliotis from M Squared Capital. These guys are in the mortgage uh, business and they know what's going on. So let's just see what is going on. Paul, good to see you. Thank you. Well, um, so in terms of what you're seeing, uh, and we're, we're reading that investors are making a big return to the market, is that true? Are you seeing that? Look, what we're seeing in the market is, is quite an interesting phenomenon. We're seeing that a lot of businesses um, are finding that they weren't going to recover. Well, they didn't know that they were going to recover so quickly from COVID. Mm. So what we're finding is businesses are caught with not enough staff and not enough capital. Yeah. So they're needing to inject capital into their business and trying to hire as quickly as they can. Yeah. Um, they're going to the banks to try to get their, their capital injection. Yep. And what we're also finding is mm. the banks have also been caught with the same conundrum. Yeah. So they are caught short-staffed and they are trying to pedal as hard as they can to get the applications out and their time delays are quite huge. Mm. Um, we've seen the AFR um, quite recently that you know bank turnaround times, even to pick up a file, is up to 45 days. So, so mortgage brokers must be really finding it hard too because... They rely on the banks to say yes or no? They must be. But in terms of what that means for our, for our borrowers is they're going to the banks trying first to go. And what we're finding is really good, high-quality borrowers coming to us, pulling their hair, hair out, mm. trying to get an injection of capital so they can make their money in the business they need. Mm. So I'll give you an example. We've got one particular borrower that came to us recently. He's got a freestanding property in Cronulla, New South Wales, mm. grade A security property. Yeah. He went to the bank, he wanted to pull out some of his equity in his property to inject in his business because he had business growth. Yeah. Um, the banks are still waiting to assess their the file. Mm. So he needs to inject, he's come to us, mm. great borrower. 
um, our investors are going to get a return of 6.75% for an 18-month loan term, mm. secured against the first registered mortgage against a property in a grade-A security in, in Sydney. So mm. we wouldn't have seen those so opportunities. So what, what, what will he be paying? Because the, 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 the savers who put their money in to fund that via you, mm -hmm. they're going to get, did you say six? Six, six, seven, five right. we give them for okay. an 80-month term. And what will he be paying? He'll pay around the eight and a half mark. Yeah. yeah but to, to pay that kind of rate, you'd think he was, he's a risky borrower, but he's, he's not really a risky borrower, is he? Well, look, it, we define risk differently. This, our belief in this particular yeah. borrower is he, we are there for a stopgap. Yeah. He's come to us because the banks are not giving him what he needs in time. Yeah. It is coming out of a major bank, right. and we believe it will go back to that major bank once everything is... Okay. come back to fruition yeah. or come, come back to normal. So it's like bridging finance in, in ways, It's bridging it? finance, but without the um, misconception that you're bridging with uh, going up the risk curve. There is risk yeah. with lending in direct mortgages. Always. Always. But we're saying it's mitigated risk in terms of the security property looking at, the quality of the borrower, mm. and he is a bankable client once all this normality comes, when, when it comes back. Yeah. Are, are people surprised that they can actually take their savings, which they would prefer to be in government safe deposits, but they're, they're so low, people have to go up the risk curve. I'm surprised that they can actually do that, like put their money to the guys like you and, and actually know where the money's going to go. They can actually watch the, their money being invested. Yeah, like look, I'm, a, to somebody. I'm actually right. amazed at how many investors have just found the fact that you can find people like us and, and, yeah. and invest into direct mortgages. Our investors are telling us they're liking the direct mortgage investment because they can drive past the property. They like mm. the fact that it's secured against property and Australians love property so they know what the risk is. Um, they're also liking the fact that they're getting their, because they're into direct mortgages, they're sharing in the interest that the borrower is paying. So they're getting paid monthly on these investments. So our investors are saying, look, it's a great way for me to diversify my portfolio. Mm. They still have their equities, they still have their, their sexy stuff. We'd, we're not a sexy kind of option. We just pay you monthly and you secure it against property. Mm. But I'm actually amazed that the people are finding us now when we've been in existence for so long. Why don't you explain to the audience what you guys actually do in terms of if a borrower wants to lend to you and what happens to that money? Okay, so a borrower will come to us with a need for finance. As we mentioned before, there's, mm. there's examples where um, a borrower might have a freestanding building. Yep. Um, he will need to take a mortgage against that building to invest into his business. Um, we will then go to our investor base mm. and provide... Who are really savers, aren't they? Who are, who are savers, people mm. with super fund monies, right. might yeah. be high net worth individuals. It's, it's quite interesting if you dissect the investor base, actually. Mm. Um, super, fund is a, super fund people that are chasing yield is a great portion of those. Yeah. investors, yeah. but you do also have people that are trying to get an arbitrage because the rates are so low if they're holding monies in offset. Mm. So they're kind of arbitraging. Mm. It's, it's, it's quite weird and wonderful, our investor base. Mm. But going back to the example, the borrower will come to us with a need for finance and we'll go to our database after we've done and credit checked that particular borrower. It's more than just looking at the, pro the security property and saying, oh, it's a property worth a million dollars, we're going to give the guy 650000 We mm. have a huge process involved before our investors even see the opportunity. So we go through for arguments sake, his character, the cash flow, and a few other bits and pieces. Mm. Once it's credit worthy, we've signed it off in the credit committee, we'll go to our investors and basically provide a, a summary to them. Mm. 
a niche in our business is we allow investors the tools and the power to ask us and, and we provide them all the due diligence they want, whether it's the valuations done by our third party valuers, whether it's our credit notes, they've got the ability to ask for that and we provide it to them. Our investors then choose the investments that they like. We are not a pooled fund where you give us your money and we do whatever is under our mandate. Mm. We have an express transaction or investment that we provide to our investors yep. and they choose that particular investment. As you mentioned, you, know, you can drive past it. You can drive past it. Our predominantly investments are in Sydney. Mm. Um, we've seen that Sydney's performed extremely well, particularly in COVID. Mm. We are looking at opportunities in Brisbane and Melbourne, but we are generally have security properties in the eastern seaboard of Australia, mm. and they're generally properties that are um, fully constructed. Okay. Um, what's the shortest period of time people can invest with you? Look, it's again, depending on the investment, we've had three-month facilities and we've had 18-month facilities, but we like to stay within the three to 80-month range. Mm. And historically, it's between six and 12 months. Um, again, when you're doing bank quality transactions, mm. um, you want them to be um, with us until they can get back into the bank. Yeah. And we find that that generally takes at least eight months to 12 yeah. months. And what's the range of interest given like the, the, I guess, the safest of yeah, you, because you're not term deposits with a government guarantee. But what's the lowest interest rate you would pay a saver? Because it's, you know, obviously you see, so, so safe, you pay a lower interest rate. Yeah, look, we're, we're, we do first mortgages in our yeah. business. Um, in a first mortgage transaction, there has been a real big race to the bottom in terms yeah. of competition out there. Yeah. We still try to keep our investors' returns at a minimum of 6.5% net to them. Because our business is nimble, we, mm. can, we can reduce our margins to be able to get those good quality borrowers mm. and keep our investor returns, we believe, in the market leading range. So in a sense, you're, you're kind of competing against like a, a CBA dividend plus franking. To a degree. Yeah, because people, people think that way, don't To a they? degree, other yeah. than you can see the property can drive past the property. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting development that if term deposits weren't so low in interest rate, people wouldn't be thinking about alternatives, but people are as a consequence of that. Well, funny you say that. Our, our chairman, John Thomas, used to run Howard's Mortgages back in the day, mm. and he grew a $3.5 billion book. Mm. And the arbitrage between the term deposit and what he, he was getting in mortgages was 1.5%. Mm. We are offering effectively a 55 to 6% differential in that term deposit to the net, in, the net return. Mm. So we believe it's never been better, well it hasn't been better, mm. in terms of the low risk attributes. Yeah. In, in and, I, and I guess, it, to be fair, the, the worst case scenario for you would be a serious recession where house prices fall, but then there's no, that doesn't necessarily mean that things fall over, but that, that puts an organisation like you at risk because you lend about 65% of the collateral. So, but historically, well, as an economist, I don't think that's in the in the near term future. It could happen sometime in the future, but not it, forever. And that's why it's also important to lend to borrowers that actually have dealt with the hard times. Yeah. They tend to find their way to trade out of the bad times. Mm. But again, historically, if you're lending 65% of the value of a non-specialised asset, we saw a really big dip in 2016 when, when APRA came in and put the screws on the yeah. banks. Mm. And the actual residential market in Sydney, for argument's sake, dropped 18%. Mm. But again, at an 18% drop, the worst drop that we've seen in our life cycle, mm. um, 
all of our investors would have got their money and their interest, their, their capital and their interest back. Mm. So we do believe it is a really resilient um, asset class, mm. particularly when things are bad. We saw in COVID, our investors got all their money and their interest every single time. Mm. There were some hard times where you thought we, we didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Um, but when you look back, and hindsight's a great thing, mm. it was a really resilient um, investment class. That's Paul Miliotis from M Square Capital. Thank you. And that was Paul Miliotis of M Square Capital. Now, before we go, I want to remind you about our little offer of buy the book, get the golden ticket, and get a free subscription to the Switzer Report if the golden ticket comes your way. You'll see on the screen the details where you have to go to to, to get involved in this nice little promotion. And of course, remember, uh, Monday is a public holiday for most of the country, so we won't be doing the show, but on Thursday, it will be a genuine blockbuster. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.